Hey there, folks. A uh, quick warning to you before we start with this episode. This film discussion includes some descriptions of drug use, sexual situations, body horror, and mentions of suicide. If that bothers you, then please feel free to skip this episode. If not, then please enjoy Mermaid Movie Club number eight, Blew My Mind. Let's go. It's tough when you're a new girl at a new school in a new town and you're desperately trying to fit in. But what happens when nature decides to tell you what you really are in the worst possible ways? It's a gruesome story of self-discovery, rebellion, and raw diets. I'm Mermaid Zandria. Let's dive in to Blew My Mind. Greetings and salutations, and welcome to the Mermaid Movie Club, a celebration of merfolk and media, special Halloween edition. I am your master of ceremonies, Mermaid Zandria. October is upon us, and with it, the witching season. What better time to explore the darkest parts of mermaid cinema with some of our most fin-chilling episodes to date? <clears throat> I hope you liked that. That was fun to do. That's right. All this month, we're going in with some horror picks to celebrate the Halloween season and get you into the Halloween spirit, even if it's just two episodes, as has been the pattern for the show that I set up. Hey, this podcast isn't the only thing I do in my life. Like a very famous sea witch once said, I'm a very busy woman and I haven't got all day. But like a very famous mermaid from that same film once said, Watch and you'll see. Someday I'll be. Full time with this mermaid stuff. That was what she said, right? That was how that went, right? Like, we all know that song, right? Anyway, before we begin, let me break it down for the guppies in the room. This is the Mermaid Movie Club, where we watch mermaid movies. Lots of them. Nearly any mermaid film I can find. But it's gotta be mermaid-centric. So no, we're not gonna talk about Onward because there's like less than a minute of mermaid footage at the beginning. Mermaids, mermen, non-binary entities, they gotta be at the center of the action. That's the lone criteria. Also, you gotta be able to watch it somewhere. I can't talk about a movie I can't watch. So we watch the movie, we break it down, we look at the mythological aspects, history around the film, fun facts, of course I'm a sucker for trivia, and social issues if applicable. Then of course we open the discussion on social media and all my networks are in the show notes, but I'm Mermaid Zandria just about everywhere, Mermaid X-A-N-D-R-I-A. Um, and of course we use the voice message box on the Anchor app as well. Please use the voice message box on the Anchor app. I want to do a mailbag thing at some point. Please fulfill my dreams. <laughs> Uh, the goal here is to look at all the different ways merfolk can be interpreted, as I don't think there's a right way to do it. If you don't have a real-life reference for something, then you can make it whatever you want. This is kind of why I say you can't apply logic to mermaids in almost every episode. This is a zero-gatekeeping zone. We don't say, mermaids don't look like this, or mermaids don't do this, or mermaids don't act like this. No. Not what we do here. The whole purpose of what we do here is expanding horizons. Not just in terms of mermaids, but also maybe introducing you to some films maybe you've never heard of. Now, I understand this all sounds very pretentious and very niche, but rest assured, it totally is. But I know a lot of people who listen to this show are just general mermaid fans, so this is just a place where we can all just come together and enjoy mermaid stuff. Without shame. Because liking things is very rebellious nowadays. You go on the internet and it's all about like, well, this is what's wrong with this thing, and this thing is crappy because of this, and listen, it's liking things is totally awesome. It's a totally fun thing to do, and it's totally socially acceptable to like things. W for a good reason. It's, 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 there's valid reasons to not like things. That's what I'm trying to say. If there's no, You know what I'm getting at, okay? I'm just saying, like, don't be negative, okay? That's all I ask. So, 
this week's pick, it's fairly obscure, and I honestly don't remember how I found it, but I sure found it. Blew My Mind. It's a film from 2017. It is directed by Lisa Brolman, who I learned from my research, actually directed two episodes of Killing Eve from 2019. If you're a fan of Killing Eve, that might be of interest to you. The film stars Luna Wedler as our protagonist, Mia, and Zoe Pastel as Gianna, her friend through everything. She was also on Killing Eve. The film is directed, as I said, by Lisa Brolman, her first feature-length film, with writing credits from Brolman and Dominic Loscher, and produced by Philip Bonacci, Stefan Yeager, and Katrine Renz. It made its debut at the Zurich Film Festival in 2017, where it won both the Critics' Choice Award and the GoldenEye Award for Best Film in Focus, Switzerland, Germany, Austria. It also won three Swiss Film Prize Awards and a Gold Award at the Queen Palm International Film Festival, all in 2018. IMDb describes this movie, saying, A seemingly normal teenage girl faces an overwhelming body transformation that puts her existence into question. And I did call it a coming-of-age body horror at some point, or coming-of-age horror. I, didn't, I don't think I used body horror in that specific description, but I definitely have used it. And um, it is basically coming-of-age horror. Maybe more of a dark fantasy, you know, watching it a second time. But <clears throat> there's a lot of, like, that creepy element to it. It's like there's the pacing and the effects. And you, you gotta watch it. Like, we're gonna get into this. Like I, like I said, there's a lot of body horror in it. There's a lot of sex, a lot of drugs, a bit of blood. I don't say I didn't warn you. Remember, we had a warning at the top of the show. So, again, I warned you. I very much warned you. So, buckle in, my friends, because we're diving headfirst into Blue My Mind. What do you mean we're not opening underwater? What kind of mermaid movie is this? Don't worry, we've got this pretty shot of the ocean. There's a little girl throwing rocks into the ocean. Believe me, this is probably the most wholesome content in the entire film. I feel like this is supposed to be some kind of foreshadowing, but who knows? It's open to interpretation. But enough about that. Let's talk about Mia. Mia is our protagonist. Mia is new in town. No, I'm not going for the John Mulaney thing again. I already did that, like, in the last episode. I don't want to do it twice in a row. Or do I? Uh, we got a classic case here. Her father got a job in, I think they're in Zurich. I don't know if that was ever made clear, but I think they're in Zurich in Switzerland. And that's what brings them here. Mia clarifies this when she's talking to a classmate, kind of briefly. Immediately, you kind of get this teenage protagonist syndrome with her because she's not like other girls. She doesn't fit in. She seems kind of daydreamy in class during the discussion about social injustices. She smokes. She's very rebellious. And we find this when she meets a gang of cool kids. They're all wearing black and they're smoking outside school. She's got the nerve, the absolute nerve, the absolute gall excuse you who this girl thinks she is she asks the cool kids for a light the nerve who does this girl think she is they play the whole you can't sit with us card because of course they do what made you think you could talk to us uh okay first of all who do you think you are teenagers they think they know everything this is all mia's first day at her new school so when she comes home her mother is curious as to how it went Mia seems less than eager to talk about it and even violently pushes her mother to the floor to get her out of her hair. Mia seems to be a textbook definition of closed off, not opening up to this 
disembodied voice that I can only assume is her father. You don't see his face, so you can really only assume. I think it is her father. And he asks why she pushed her mother. Very curious about the family dynamic here. But we're not even 10 minutes in. Now, here's where it gets very curious. Late at night, Mia goes into the kitchen and dumps a copious amount of table salt into a glass of water. The first time I watched this, I couldn't quite read the box because I couldn't make out the text, so I wasn't sure what it was. But upon the second watch, the box, it says something like taffel salts, taffel salts or something. And I can only assume that's table salt. Girl, love yourself. Get some sea salt. The way she just gulps down this water is some Cody Griffin thing, but oof. Not even he dumped a whole half a box of salt into his water. He just drank it straight up. He was just in front of that water fountain. It was like 20 minutes or something. And then same thing, you know, Siren Phillips in, in Scales. She had the giant water bottle. I don't know. I think this was bad. That was a bigger deal in the 13th year. I'm going to have to talk about this movie and the relationship it has with the other, with Scales in the 13th year later on. Um, so after this, she ca- crawls into bed with her mother mother holds her close so the dynamic with Mia and her mother is a tricky one but at the point we're at all Mia has is her parents there is this already this deep fear in Mia it gnaws away at her there's this it's this feeling of uncertainty that comes with you know being the new kid new town new school new surroundings no friends lots of things to get used to remember she got rejected by the cool kids so it seems like she has no one else. She doesn't fit in with her class, her classmates. She just feels like she's totally alone. And when you're at that age, sometimes you do push people you love away, even if you don't mean to. I definitely did. Sometimes I still do. But at this point, Mia doesn't even know what's happening. So she reacts before thinking about it. Disclaimer, I'm not a psychologist. I've never studied psychology. I'm just basing this on my own interpretations and my own experiences. I am, again, not a psychologist, but I have a teenage girl, if that means anything. Anyway, next day, the teacher is looking to the class for ideas for the next field trip. The cool kids, I'm going to keep saying it like that. I'm sorry. I have it written down in my script as cool kids with cool with a K and kids with a Z. So that's just how I'm going to keep saying cool kids for the rest of the show, probably. They suggest going to this place called Connie Land. I know, that's an interesting name for a park. I had to Google this because it's nothing I've ever heard of, but it appears to be like a sort of theme park in Lipperswil in Switzerland. It comes off, it's kind of like this Six Flags Legoland type attraction, but it is completely devoid of any kind of like intellectual property branding. Look, I I live like an hour away from Orlando, so that's what I know. I know like the Disneys and the Universals and those are all very aggressively branded. I feel like SeaWorld isn't as much, just apart from its own branding. Um, and so that's kind of what makes Connie Land so refreshing. It just feels like a very classic like carnival type of thing. Um, again, it's pretty refreshing. I won't lie, even though I'm definitely a Disney adult. Um, it's got a lot of like the standard theme park rides. It's got the attractions, the dolphin shows. Um, one of the students remarks that Connie Land is for kids, but one of the cool kids, this is Gianna. We're going to get to know Gianna a lot better later on. She insists that Connie Land is going to be super cool. In fact, it's going to be so cool that we're going to go there and get high as one does at a theme park. I don't know what kind of regulations there are for that in Switzerland, but I know that stuff does get you kicked out of theme parks here in Florida. Maybe banned, 
probably banned. Good chance, good chance you're going to get banned. Not that it's ever stopped anyone because this is Florida. One time I graduated in class, smuggled alcohol in the Universal Studios during grad bash. They didn't not get busted for it, of course. I'm just saying it didn't stop them. Mia is the last one to vote on the field trip and votes for Connie Land after much peer pressure. I mean, threaten me with a good time. You can go get high. I'll be over at Dino Attack if you're looking for me. So now Mia meets Gianna and the cool kids, cool kids, again. And suddenly Mia is very interesting when they need cigarettes. This results in some name calling and some negging from the cool kids. Some body shaming. Kind of feels like this is like a hazing situation. Gianna relents and allows Mia into their circle. Gianna is convinced that Mia wants into their little squad, and Mia never exactly says no. There's an interview with Lisa Brolman, the director, and I'm going to link this uh, in the notes, where she's, she basically says that the the crew that Gianna hangs out with, are they're like wild and free. And of course, Mia is attracted to that because she naturally is wild and free, and she just hasn't discovered this yet. Again, I'm going to link that down below. I'm going to link that in the notes. I keep saying down below for some reason, as if I'm a YouTuber or something. Um, but that's, I'm going to link that in the notes. That's going to be worth reading. But remember, Mia is in a new school struggling to fit in. So she sees this as an invitation. Gianna seems to be the queen bee of this operation, kind of like the Regina George. So naturally they go to her place where her dad is waiting, which is super exciting for Gianna. So exciting. The gang retreats to her room, where they all just sit on their phones and smoke and squirt ketchup into each other's mouths. Because I guess that's what you do. Gianna convinces Mia into watching... Not, not convinces, coerces, sorry. Gianna coerces Mia into watching porn on her laptop. Didn't really like that very much. And Mia just seems kind of non-reactive to it. Mia seems to be eternally distant. And in this case, maybe she's still getting to know everyone. But she hardly interacts with anyone unless spoken to first. And not gonna lie, I'm kind of like that too. They start making a dating profile for her on, I think it's called Lovu. And it is a real service. It's not like something that was made for this movie. I had to Google it. Yep, it's a real thing. Um, and she, again, doesn't object to this. This will be important later. But what really gets me is this about this whole scene. There seems to be this thing where this group just likes to, like, choke each other. That's weird, right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not here to kink shame anybody or anything, but... Um, that could be potentially hazardous they do that thing where like they let all their air out they're like <laughs> and it's really weird to watch and then they just like press down on their throats it's like i think gianna does this with mia she has mia pressed down on her throat and then she just passes out in her in her bed and it's i don't know i, I thought i was really uncomfortable with the, with the whole thing and i guess she just gets her thrill from it i guess she just kind of gets off on it in a way um, so then <clears throat> Mia volunteers to trade places and she passes out pretty quickly and it's almost like she's drowning, drowning. Yes. Because of this dark foreshadowy underwater shot that they use just after she passes out. So drowning. This film is like really, really clever with kind of the artistic aesthetic shots. Uh, and they're used really creatively throughout the film. So this is one of those instances. As Mia comes to, she pieces out immediately, and John just kind of side highs her like, weak. By the way, this little crew here is kind of giving me the craft vibes right now. Gianna is kind of the, like the Nancy, and Mia is the Sarah, for now. 
And, and I'm just saying that because of Gianna's penchant for dark lipstick, which by the way, amazing. Like I'm, I love this look. And, and I mean, have you seen my profile picture? But no, it's because Gianna wants to get into all the risky stuff, never minding the consequences. And Mia, who's the new kid in town, has some reservations for now. Once she's home, Mia's hungry. Mia wants food. What is there to eat? Goldfish sounds good. No, not the cheap and cheesy snack that's not that smiles back. No. A literal goldfish. Like, it's in a fish tank. Like, swimming around real live goldfish. As in, Mia plunges her hand in the family fish tank and grabs one right out of there and eats it raw, like it's sashimi. Wait, it's, it's, it's not sashimi if there's bones in it. But there was bones on it at some point. Either way, Mia just kind of vomits it into the toilet because, hello, you just ate a raw fish that's probably been pooping in the same tank it's been swimming in. I'm not sure what you expected there. It's like in Moana where, like, she lands on the island where Maui is and she says, fish pee in you all day. And I immediately thought of that quote and I'm like, you're, I don't know what you were thinking, Mia. Were you thinking? Was she thinking? Hmm. Foreshadowing. Next day, our girl gang, hashtag girl gang is taking pregnancy tests and smoking in the bathroom. So rebellious. They're going to go shopping, and I think you can figure out what Gianna means by that. You know, typical teenage things. Yelling at people in the mall, stealing, getting chased by cops. Come on, didn't we all go through that? I didn't, but I knew a lot of people that did. After their great escape, we have just Mia and Gianna giggling, flashing traffic, nearly kissing, the dynamic with them has changed significantly in a short amount of time. It's a few days, it's a few minutes to us, but it's a shift that takes place over a few days in the film's timeline. Gianna went from practically bullying Mia to giggling with her like they were friends all along. I get the feeling that Mia, for the most part, goes along with whatever the others are doing, but with some hesitation. There's a scene here, and I really have to talk about this because... It's, just because it's... Mm, 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 mm. Mia gets a message on her Lovu, I think I'm, is it, it's Lovu, Lovu, I'm not sure. She gets a message from this dude named Teddy, 35, lives in Zurich. I had to physically put the message into Google Translate to get it. Again, I do not speak German, but it basically says, Dear Mia, this is the Google translation. If you speak German, you can translate any of the other messages in the movie. Please, 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 please. I would love that. Um... Or if there's something that I'm getting lost, something, some like Swiss, German things that I'm missing out in this movie. Yeah, just let me know. Um, so the text that I put into Google Translate says, Dear Mia, I really like your profile and your photo is super cute. I can't think of anything else but looking at your picture. You seem like an interesting girl. Because I had to translate that because the message isn't translated in the movie. So I had to put it through a translator. But... I'm not going to have the patience to do that with the rest of these messages because I think there are more later. But again, if you feel like translating Teddy's messages, <laughs> watching this movie and translating those messages, then totes, totally cool. But this message is translated where Mia asks if he wants to meet, want, meet up with her. That's translated. Once again, I'm going to reiterate this. Teddy is 35. Mia's profile says she's 18. But she is just around 16. So that's more than twice Mia's age, presumably. <sighs> Mia, what are you doing? What are you thinking? What are you doing? What, what, what are you doing? 
Anyway, um, Mia's got some girl stuff to do now. She soaks in the tub for a while, shaves her legs, checks out her webbed toes. Wait, whoa, 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 hold on. Those weren't there before. Now, the salt water should have been the first indicator that something was up, especially the volume of salt she was putting in it. Then the fish food. The fish that was food. The fish that became food. Now Mia's freaked out by some webbed toes. Like I said, that wasn't a thing before. We all know what's happening here, right? We've seen this enough. We've seen enough movies like this to know what's going on, right? We've covered this in two movies now. We know what's happening. Fortunately for Mia, she can just wear shoes and nobody will notice. And it doesn't appear to impede her walking ability, so it's fine. It's all fine. It's all fine until Mom asks why Jackie and Robbie aren't in the aquarium anymore. Well, so much for that trip to Connie Land. Oh, no. Mia's smart, though. She goes to a doctor to see what's up with her toes and does so promptly. I wish all my doctors were as warm and kind as this one. The woman diagnoses Mia with a condition called syndactyly, but here's the catch. <clears throat> syndactyly is a condition in which someone has webbed or conjoined fingers or toes, and usually it's present at birth. Mia literally developed this overnight, so that means she didn't have it as a child. It's true that it's not dangerous. It's definitely inconvenient because it can pose some mobility issues, but Mia wants it gone for her own sake. But when it presents as unusual for the doc, there's like some other like membrane on it, I think she said, she decides to run some tests. And this is where I had to look away because I don't like looking at this stuff. But Mia just runs off, runs out. I think she still has some like the tubes in her or something. She runs out and cries because nobody has an answer. There's no explanation for it, whatever she's going through. As if Mia doesn't have it hard enough, something is happening to her body that nobody can explain. Not even a medical professional. Mia has to search for the answers in family photos. At first I thought she was looking for something like someone else who had the kind of deformity she has, but it turns out she discovers there are no pictures of her of where her mother is pregnant and she has to question this to her mother like why don't do you have any pictures where you're pregnant with me and why do I look so different from the rest from you and dad what's up with that Mia's mom because of course she does dodges everything and just sends Mia back to her room to work on her homework yeah that's cool just leave her in the dark that's totally great love that great parenting and now amidst all this Mia's like yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna meet up with Teddy for sex mm-hmm I'm barely 16. I'm going to meet up with Teddy, meet up with a 35-year-old man for sex. Now, I googled the age of consent in Switzerland, which is 16. Yeah, okay. And her profile says she's 18. Yeah, okay. Am I wrong for being creeped out, though? I'm thoroughly creeped out. That's a massive power imbalance there. Like, can we call it what it is? <clears throat> and they, they meet up only to totally not do the do because Teddy sees a bruise on Mia's leg. It's not a bruise. And she just hits him and leaves. I don't think this is necessarily going to be the last we see of Teddy, but let's just continue on. I did note that that is not a bruise on her leg. It looks like a bruise. But I think the reason why she smacks him is because it's something that she didn't realize was there. So I think that's part of this transformation she's going through. And so naturally she's insecure about it. She's like, she just, she notices it. She doesn't know what to do about it. She reacts before thinking <clears throat> and runs off. That's kind of the theme of Mia. She just doesn't know how to react. So she just reacts violently and then runs off. 
Mia goes back to the mall, steals stuff because she's learning so much from her cool friends. And girl's about to, to do something drastic. No, it's not bandaging her bruised leg, although I don't know what a giant ace bandage would do for it other than cover it up. I think the bruise is on her ankle anyway. She's got a pair of those, like, teeny tiny, like, what are they? Like, fingernail scissors, cuticle scissors or something? I had to look away from this because I was eating as she tried to split apart her webbed toes with her teeny tiny scissors. Like, physically cut them apart. It was not pleasant to watch. Mia is someone who doesn't listen when they say, don't try this at home, clearly. But she doesn't regret it. She just puts a band-aid over it. It's fine. And so then there's a sex scene here. I don't think this is very eventful. Um, but I can't tell how much of what Mia does is a result of hanging around her new squad or if that was a Mia thing beforehand. Because you don't really know much about Mia up to this point. It seems like not even Mia knows much about herself. And that, again, seems to be the theme. Like, remember, Mia can't find any pictures of herself in the womb, no ultrasounds, no pregnancy pictures of her mother, nothing. And day after day, she feels more and more like a fish out of water, a fish out of water, and does whatever she can to feel more human. But clearly, nature has other plans. Now, after an alcohol-fueled dance with Mia and all her cool friends, including the boys, which, by the way, this is a really cool, like, really cool-looking dance scene because it's all purple and it's pretty and it's very aesthetic. I just thought I'd point this out. Mia takes Gianna to her place to sleep, sneaks her in while her parents are sleeping. And there's some great Gianna exposition here where we learn that her parents are divorced, her mother lives in the U.S., and she's been telling her for five years that she's working on getting her to the U.S. to live with her. For five years. And that's a long time. And this is also where Gianna learns that Mia's dad has basically forbade her from going to Connie land. But Gianna, Gianna comes in clutch and forges her father's signature on the permission slip. See, real friends get you into Connie land. Semi-legally. Now, Connie land is a great amusement park with lots of fun things to do. Lots of rides to ride, shows to watch, food to eat, drugs to consume. Yeah, these girls got their promise. They are high as a kite in Connie Land right now. Like, they were slipping MDMA into their drinks on the bus even. Which, again, sounds like my classmates when they went to Grad Bash that one time. Anyway, while they're all tripping at Connie Land, Mia just hears dolphin noises. Literally, the whole time. It's just like a ringing in her ear. Like, you see her and she's doing regular Connie Land things. She's kind of walking around, stumbling around like drug and like just totally high and you can all she hears is dolphin noises dolphin noises dolphin noises dolphin noises it's just like constantly there like a dull roar it's like almost like a siren even a siren hmm but things are just gonna get weirder from here you guys it's gonna be a weird ride y'all she escapes to the bathroom to find that her belly button is just gone it's gone. It's just gone. And she's crying over this. She is sobbing. And now, on paper, it sounds strange, crying over the fact that you don't have a belly button. Well, keep in mind that, like, what a belly button is. Like, what it means. It sounds silly on paper. And then you remember all the other little changes she's going through and how nothing makes sense and how there are no answers. And all she can do is just watch as she becomes something else. Also, her bruises have multiplied to an alarming degree. 
least she and everyone else thinks they're bruises. I'm pretty sure they're not bruises. We all know what's going on, right? We've seen this happen before. Oh, and uh, she's molting too. So that's totally cool. That's totally new and cool. It's not gross at all. No. Yes, it is. You know what else is gross? Animal dissection. I mean, I'm grossed out by it personally. Like I have memories of a summer school teacher that my sister and I had. No, my sister had her. And she used to do shark dissections in her classroom with her summer school classes. I had to go to her classroom once for some reason. I just remember the smell of that classroom. So I smelled that when I was watching Mia dissect this fish. Now, Mia is noticeably hesitant with this process, maybe a bit uncomfortable for some reason. But God, when the class leaves, this girl goes to town on some sashimi. Like, she's ravenous. Full-on predatory. It's like watching a lion bury its face into an antelope. Or like watching Cookie Monster bury his face into a cookie. It's the whole... And that's what I was saying. Of course, when one classmate catches her, she corners her. Mia corners this girl and she says, Don't tell anyone or I'll destroy you. Spoken like a true predator. So now, Mia and Gianna go through Mia's mom's documents in hopes of finding anything. Like literally anything. Anything. That'd be a clue into Mia's origins. Gianna thinks they've found a set of adoption papers in French, but before they can really get a good look, Mia's mom bursts in and chases them out. But here's what's troubling to me. Why are Mia's parents so adamant about keeping her secret? When Mia's mom comes in, she's furious about Mia going through her personal files, and maybe that's what it is, a privacy thing. But even whenever Mia brings up the issue to her, I've said this before, and I keep saying it she dodges questions she gives non-answers um i was actually listening to another podcast that i love recently which is called inside the disney vault if you are a disney a fan of disney movies decoms whatever you should absolutely check that podcast out uh they're going through all of like the disney channel original movies right now and they were pointing out in the luck of the irish that whenever kyle asks where his family's from his dad says they're from cleveland and that's about it of course that was done to protect kyle's mother who turned out to be a leprechaun I think that was a similar point in Scales as well, because somehow we always come back to Scales. So it's possible that Mia's parents are trying to protect her, but it's the outright vitriol from Mia's mother in this scene, where she even goes as far as to say, I can't believe you're my daughter. Like, what are you hiding from her? I have my own theories at this point, but I'll save that for the wrap up. So Mia's parents go away. I guess they're going to this wedding. They've been talking about going to this wedding and they really wanted Mia to go to this wedding, but Mia did not want to go to this wedding. So she's home all by herself, which is a great idea. It's a great idea. She eats more tank fish, drinks more vodka, runs through reruns of Two Broke Girls. Yes, I caught that. Takes more pills and goes to a party with her cool friends and particularly Gianna. Let me just point this out. There is so much sapphic subtext with Mia and Gianna. The body language between them, the way Gianna speaks to her, especially in the second half. So, of course, when Gianna nearly drowns, who else but Mia is going to jump at the chance to save her? Does not even hesitate. And I think Mia is aware that whatever is happening to her is of like a marine persuasion. Whatever she's becoming is some sort of marine thing. And it's possible that going into the water might trigger any further changes kind of h2o style but she doesn't even think about that just completely forgets that jumps right in to save gianna because that is the most important thing however 
It's because of that transformation stipulation. That's why she doesn't stick around to comfort Gianna. So she bolts right out of there as she does. Because Mia just runs away from her problems. Second later, we see her in the bathroom. She's lifting up her shirt. And now she's got these freaky, freaky abdominal gills. Mm-hmm. They look really, I mean, they look really cool. Like the special effects that this movie uses are absurdly cool. They're gross, but they're so, 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 so cool. I can't stress that enough. Like looking at the gills are supposed to be, I'm supposed to be really grossed out by these, I think, but they're so like, I've, I've actually forgot to check who like the, do like the, did the special effects and the prosthetics in this movie, but all the, all the awards to this, to that team, to whoever did that, because they are amazing. Um, and we're going to get into a little bit more of those later. Now, it's funny when you consider how, like I said, how you consider how Gianna treated Mia in the beginning, because now Gianna has genuine concern for her new friend. She goes back to Mia's place where she's, she's sitting in front of the TV. She's all alone. She's surrounded by bottles, legs covered in bruises, and Gianna sees this, and she's immediately disturbed and urges Mia to see a doctor. She's like, Mia, you have to go to a doctor. And she, but she's saying this, like, she's so, she's outright sobbing. It's it's like, she, just kind of like, imagine being in that situation. You walk into your friend's place, and I guess in the case of somebody like Gianna, this is not totally unheard of. Because they are, they, like, they drink a lot. They smoke a lot. They kind of do whatever under the sun. But I guess it's just that combined with seeing how her legs are. There, there's just been this weird shift in Gianna. It's really interesting to watch. So she sees Mia in her state. And she's she immediately breaks down. And she's like, you have to go to a doctor. You have to go to a doctor. But you think Mia didn't try that before? She, we, we saw that she did. And her doctor was like, we don't know, man. We don't know. Nothing we can do. So the, again, Mia just reacts. Her first intention is to react with violence. She just chucks one of the empty bottles at Gianna and thankfully she misses, but effectively chases her out. But now Mia is inconsolable because she chased away her only friend at this point. And I felt that when she started crying like, she starts sobbing, outright moaning, crying. She's just like, ugh. And, like, I, that, that, that was, there's a lot of parts of this movie that are hard to watch. And that was one of them for a different reason, for more of an emotional reason than, like, a gross, squicky reason. It was just, like, ugh. again, this is real. This, like, that was some real stuff that was hard to deal with. So Mia decides to drown her sorrows at another party, alone. Gianna's there. But clearly she and Gianna are very awkward. She avoids Gianna and just makes out with other dudes, getting very, very personal, until Gianna finally intervenes. Gianna pleads with Mia to stop whatever she's doing. Mia refuses. Somewhere down the line, her bruised legs are revealed. Bruised again. I don't think they're bruised. I think we can all figure out what's happening here. But the guys think it's some sort of viral disease. As if Mia isn't already insecure enough. She bolts right out of the party alone, as she always does. 
But of course, she can't just reject calls from Gianna and take pills forever, can she? That's why... Okay, this one is... This one's kind of strong, so... Again, I, I this is why I say this movie isn't for everybody. She gets up. She hobbles to the kitchen. Her legs are partially fused together. She's trying her best. And she tries to take her own life. I don't want to get into the gory details of that. Because it just seemed like the only out Mia had at that point. It seemed like the one thing she could control. Like, that was just, like, the easiest thing to do. Like, she was, like, punishing her. It was almost like she was, like, punishing her body for going through whatever it was going through. Like, just not allowing her to be normal. Not allowing her to lead a normal life. And so the first thing she thought to do was just, like, end it all. And that was something she was, she, that's something she's been doing like throughout the film with all the drugs and the alcohol. And now there's self-harm involved. She's doing everything she can to stop this process, even if it means stopping her own life. And oh, stop me before I tear up. Like that, again, this is just really, a really, really rough movie. I didn't realize it when I was picking out the stuff for October. I'm like, oh, kind of kicking myself in the face here. So Mia passes out. Screen cut to black. And yet, when we see Mia again, she's still breathing. Laid out on the floor with a full fishtail. You know... I thought Siren Phillips from Scales really didn't want to be a mermaid, but oh, my Neptune, Mia takes it to another level. She sees that tail and immediately panics, screams. Like, this is the absolute opposite of what she wanted to happen. The absolute opposite. The idea that I get is Mia wanted to be a normal girl with normal friends and a normal life. And what has happened to Mia throughout this film is far from normal. Mia never thought she'd end up spontaneously turning into a whole mermaid sitting on her flooded apartment floor alone. But not for long. Guess who finds her? Did you guess her parents? You're wrong. They're still who knows where. It, did you guess Gianna? You are correct. Gianna's only reaction to Mia's new form is just to stare for a long period of time. And then she tries to wrestle her into a truck to get her to the beach. But here's the interesting thing. Mia, Mia's not crying anymore. She doesn't seem upset like she was. It's easy to interpret her as numb, but the way I see it, Mia finally has her answer. All of Mia's questions all culminated into this conclusion. She's definitely not her mother's child, for one. Still, she uses Gianna's phone to call her mother one last time. Despite everything, she still takes this really hard. She tears up on the phone with her, saying she'll see her soon. Somehow I don't think that's going to happen. Cut to square one. Back to the beach where it all began. Mia seems more sure of herself. Gianna asks if she's afraid, but she's not. If anything, Gianna's more sad than Mia is. Gianna's only known her for a short time, but she already has to say goodbye. Mia, on the other hand, is finally sure of herself, and it really took a long time and a lot of drugs to get to this point. All Gianna can do is watch Mia as she crawls into the ocean and finally 
Mia is free. And happy where she truly belongs. Alone? Yeah. But maybe not for long. We may never know. I just know that this is probably one of the few times we've seen Mia smile throughout this whole movie. So that's got to be worth something. And with that, we close out Blew My Mind. Normally, this is where I do a flip the script segment. By the way, I guess that name is just sticking around because nobody's complained about it yet. But I just don't think there was enough in this movie to really dissect. Unless you found something, in which case, you know, feel free to talk to me about it. But I will tackle the larger overarching trope that is the teenager spontaneously turning into mermaid trope. And I'm going to compare and contrast the last two movies we covered with this concept, which were The 13th Year and Scales Mermaids Are Real, with this one. It is a fairly common trope, despite only being covered in a handful of films. One that I will not be talking about, I'm sure people are going to ask about, is Barbie and a Mermaid Tale, which definitely has this plot device, but I haven't covered that movie yet. Soon, my friends. Very soon. For context, maybe if you haven't seen these movies, I'd suggest going back to episode two for the 13th year and three for scales. Of course, you could also just watch the movies, but I've basically got the abridged version. A very opinionated abridged version. First of all, Blew My Mind is definitely not a kid's film. Absolutely not. It is definitely a twist on a tale, so to speak, but Mia's mermaid defies pretty much all conventions except for this larger overarching one. She is a mermaid, and this is definitely a mature film, but Mia's mermaid is more symbolic, like with Cody in the 13th year and Siren and Scales, of living your truth. I think it takes on new meaning for Mia when you consider all the damage she did to herself, punishing her body for not letting her be normal. And that can be metaphorical in and of itself as well, depending on how you choose to interpret it. She saw what her body was doing and outwardly tried to destroy it. Again, nature had other plans. Now, as for why the mermaid, Lisa Brolman gives perspective a little bit in an interview with Meow.com. I lost focus for a second there. Um, she says, I've always been fascinated by mermaids. This is how the story started. I didn't know anything, but that it had to be about a mermaid. For me, she is a symbol of freedom and power. She lives her true nature is wild and free, all the things I wish for every girl and every woman. Now, this is one of the things these for the the these three films have in common. When Cody, Siren, and Mia all reach their mer forms, they are more confident, although it takes some time for Mia. I think in those shots where she's sitting in her flooded apartment or in her bathtub or in the back of Giada's truck by herself, she's reflecting. She's finally figuring out the solution to the puzzle. And at some point, it finally makes sense. By the time Siren and Cody get their tails, they've already figured it out. But for Mia, it's just another, why is this happening to me point. But at the same time, it's an answer, which is all Mia wanted. The next thing I want to talk about is family dynamics. Mia's biological parents are largely absent, so we don't know anything about them. Her adoptive parents seem strangely protective of her origin, which is in stark contrast from Siren and Scales, where her adoptive mother knew, but couldn't tell her until it was time. In the case of Cody, not even his adoptive parents knew what he was until he was becoming obvious. But in both cases, we knew their biological mothers. Mia? Mm-mm, not so much. 
That adds to a lot of the mystery around Mia. Are her biological parents still alive? How did she meet her adoptive parents? Was she the child on the beach in the beginning of the film? Probably. That is perhaps one of my few complaints about this film, is all the open ends that are left behind. Still so much we don't know, and still so much that Mia probably doesn't know. And at this point, we won't know either. Now, I said I had my theories as to why her parents were keeping this from her, because if she was adopted, then why are her parents so adamant about keeping this under wraps? It's possible that hers was a 13th year kind of case, where the couple found her and took her in. They probably genuinely don't know what's happening to her, and they're tired of her asking, so they just swat away every question like they're flies. Or, and this is the darker take, they've known all along, and they want to keep her. Going back to when we covered mermaids on the last show, and Malik wanted to keep the three mermaid sisters as attractions in his little floating theme park. I'm saying there could have been a darker ulterior motive. I doubt that's the case, but I don't really have any other explanation either way this this film like i said it defies a lot of those typical conventions so that's why i don't necessarily buy this one but that's just my brain going to places it shouldn't that's just what i do here folks and in my regular life as well it's pretty bad uh one last question is this it for mia it's never explained if she can return to the land but i think the assumption is that she can't a lot of that final scene was very Oh, final. Mia breaking down over the phone with her mother, saying goodbye to Gianna. It all points to the idea of Mia not being able to return to the land, like, say, Siren. Still one plot point of scales I really didn't like when they kind of pulled the rug out from under me at the end. (sighs) Anyway. So my final thoughts on this film. Personally, I love this. I love this movie. Listen, it was so hard for me to pick an October film, to, to pick the October films in general because there was so much to choose from. A lot of stuff I haven't watched. And at first I was like, oh, I should watch something that I haven't watched yet. Take a chance on something new. But I love this film so much that I was like, okay, this is kind of a no-brainer. And I think one of the reasons why I like it is because it's not like the first thing that I would think of in terms of a quote-unquote mermaid film. I think there's a preconceived notion that a quote-unquote mermaid film is like a kitty film with princesses, romance, and magic. And while I love those, don't get me wrong, I love those films, I always appreciate when someone comes in with their own perspective and puts their own spin on lore. Like when I was talking about the mermaid back in episode four. I love that. I eat that stuff up. Kind of like Mia eats goldfish out of fish tanks. This film benefits from... It's satisfying slow burn pacing, special effects that straddle the line between gorgeous and gruesome, and outstanding performances from Luna Wedler and Zoe Pastel. It's very squeaky, like I said, and it's definitely not for everyone. And I'm someone who actually doesn't like scary movies for the most part, but this one feels more, like I said, it feels more fantasy than horror, and in its ending, has an undertone of self-acceptance and finding confidence in who you are without being heavy-handed about it. Also, it's the first time I've cried watching a film for the movie club, but I'm a Scorpio and I cry a lot. Yeah, Hans Christian Andersen said mermaids have no tears. Well, he said mermaids have no souls, and here we are. There's also, like I said, a ton of sapphic subtext contained in it, like a serious enemies to friends to lovers vibe going on between Gianna and Mia. Uh, In an interview with Anatomy of a Scream, I'm going to link this one, 
Lisa Brolman explains that Gianna especially, this is, let me quote this, Gianna especially is trapped by how she wants to be seen by others. Maybe she's actually more into girls than boys, but I thought it would be only after the story ends that she can freely explore this without the male gaze. End quote. This interview, along with the meow.com interview I quoted earlier, are linked in the show notes. Uh, But long story short, yeah, I love this movie. Even if I have to look away during the gory bits, it's just a visual masterpiece. The performances are really strong. I think I think some things do get lost in like the story, but other than that, like it's not unenjoyable. I guess unless you don't like like certain concepts of the of the film, like the obvious ones, like the gore and the sexual content. They're not really gore. I I, I kind of want that's kind of a heavy-handed description there. It's more again, like I said, body horror. It's just very. <laughs> It's like you, you don't really want to look at it unless you're into that. Um, but that's how I feel about it. I think it's a great movie. I really, really like it. Anyway. That is it for Blew My Mind. Oh, I know that one was kind of intense, but we made it. All right. Now, the next film we're going to be getting into, this is going to be out Tuesday, October 27th. I think I got that right. Let me double check that. Tuesday. Come on, calendar. Let's do it. Yes, Tuesday, October 27th. I knew I had that right. Um, and it will be all about Night Tide. This film is from 1961. It's in black and white. And it was basically to Dennis Hopper what Splash was to Tom Hanks. If you want to watch that, it is free with Prime. If you are an Amazon if you are an Amazon Amazon Prime video subscriber. I literally just subscribed, mostly so I could do this podcast. So you're welcome. Or you can watch totally free on the Tubi app, which... Tubi also has an interesting library of mermaid horror and suspense that might be worth checking out this Halloween season. In fact, I have a list of those films that I've been posting all over my social media. I just put it on Instagram. Uh, I, I see I recorded this on the 12th. I just posted that today. Um, and that's also on Tumblr. And I put it on Twitter. Uh, I'll probably end up retweeting it the day this episode goes up. So if you want to check that out, there it is. Until then, October 27th, Night Tide. Now, let's get out of here post-episode, Xandria. Let's, let's do this. Thanks for tuning in to the Mermaid Movie Club for this discussion of Blew My Mind. Be sure to tune in on October 27th for a talk about Night Tide. For more Mermaid Movie Club updates, visit the homepage at mermaidmovieclub.tumblr.com and follow me on social media. All my profiles are in the show notes. We've got new episodes every second and fourth Tuesday of every month, so be sure to subscribe on the app of your choice. Tell all your mer friends about the show, and please rate and review on Apple Podcasts. And you can also leave me a nice voice message on the Anchor app. Until then, this has been Mermaid Zandria. Have an amazing day and a fantastic tomorrow. I can never look at goldfish the same way again. Like the crackers? Can't do that anymore.